Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs. And become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening, and enjoy the show. Today's episode of Horror Hill is brought to you by BetterHelp, the world's largest e-counseling platform, which believes you deserve to be happy. Dedicated to making professional counseling accessible, affordable, and convenient, BetterHelp's mission is to ensure that anyone who struggles with life's challenges can get help, anytime, anywhere. I'll tell you a bit more about our friends at BetterHelp later on tonight. Until then, double-check your doors and windows and settle in. Darkness is at your door, and it can't wait to join you. The following program is intended for mature audiences and may contain strong language, adult themes, and content of a violent and sexual nature which may not be appropriate for everyone. Welcome, listener, to the Horror Hill. If it's the darkness you seek, you won't be disappointed. I'm your host, Jason Hill, and it's time for our appointment. In this place, there is no sun, and nightmares do come true. Here, instead of shadow falling, the shadows follow you. Consider getting comfortable before the air grows colder. Prepare yourself, if you dare. Come, inch a little closer. If darkness is what you're after, seek no more your searches through. You haven't found the darkness, traveler. The darkness <laughs> has found you. <laughs> Good evening. You're listening to Horror Hill. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 8. I'm your host, 
Jason Hill, and I'm thrilled you could join me tonight. In today's episode, courtesy of authors Kevin David Anderson and T.W. Grimm, come two bone-chilling tales about cryptid encounters and obsessions with the other side. You're listening to the standard edition of this program. If you'd like to show your support and enjoy ad-free versions of this and all our other episodes, as well as hundreds of tales from our audio archives dating back to 2012, visit simplyscarypodcast.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today to get instant access to our friends at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Thank you for your support. Now, allow me to escort you to a place where the sun dies and nightmares come to life, where those who seek the darkness need look no further. Welcome, listener, to the Horror Hill. You haven't found the darkness. The darkness has found you. Our first tale of terror this evening comes to us courtesy of author Kevin David Anderson. In it, we'll meet a group of friends on their way to a weekend retreat in the woods. Little do they know that their late-night rendezvous was about to become a matter of life and death. Without further ado, I present to you The Mount of Death. Bear me! Colin took a hand off of the steering wheel, the one not holding his smartphone, and thrust it back toward Aaron. Aaron shifted uncomfortably in the SUV's rear compartment, wedged between a cooler and sleeping bags. It was the only spot left since Colin and his girlfriend occupied the front, and Max and Carol took up the entire back seat. Not gonna happen. You're driving. And texting. And a colossal douche, he wanted to add. Colin sober driving when the heavily forested, treacherous Highway 39 through the San Gabriel Mountains was scary enough. There wasn't a chance in hell Aaron would allow alcohol into the mix. Hey, I'm not going to spend the weekend in the woods with you people sober, Colin said. Now bear me! Max leaned forward on the back of the driver's seat and slapped Colin's shoulder. Love you too, buddy. Colin stretched his neck. I didn't mean it for the lo- Aaron, will you please just get me a damn beer? Colin's new girlfriend, Aaron could not remember her name, Debbie... Donna, something, turned from the passenger seat window and smiled at Aaron. I'll take a Coke. Aaron narrowed his gaze at the young woman. He felt answered that age-old question, what would a Wookiee look like if it lost all its hair? Then started looking for a Coke. Max reached back and put his hand on the cooler lid. Got a Red Bull back there? Aaron furrowed his brow. When did I become the bartender? Colin drummed his fingers impatiently on the roof. When you volunteered to sit in the ass end of the car. Volunteered. Everyone had simply beaten him to the car. Aaron sighed. But whom was he kidding? It made sense that he be tucked in with the luggage. He was the fifth wheel. Max's best friend. Colin had Debbie or Donna, whatever hell Wookiee Face's name was. And Max had Carol. 
God, Carol was amazing. Beautiful, strong, intelligent. She had the brains of Dana Scully and the eyes of Deanna Troy and the tenacity of Katniss Everdeen. Her hair rested over the back seat right in front of Aaron, and he delighted in every breath he took, filling his nostrils with her fragrance. Clean. Fresh. A hint of strawberry. He was well aware of how creepy it was, but it wasn't like he could move or find some other air to breathe. Hey, you awake? Colin shouted. Look, I'm putting my phone down. Now beer me. Max slapped Colin's hand down off the roof. Crystal Lake Campgrounds is less than an hour away. Just wait. Colin put his hand back up, wrist resting against the soft top and fingers shaped as if cradling a beer. I want to be well into my first buzz by then. Now tell Comic-Con back there to get me a beer. Colin! Aaron sat up. You vomit-spackled ninja fart. I am not getting you a beer. You can barely drive sober in the light of day, let alone in the dark. Jesus, man, it is pitch black out. Colin made a wide, sweeping gesture over the dashboard. Aaron, my little nerdy friend, there is nothing out there in the dark that ain't there in the daytime. That's some real brilliant fortune cookie wisdom there, Buddha, Aaron shouted. Max turned around. Dude, that sounded kind of racist. What? No, that's not... <laughs> what? I could use a 7-up or something like that, Carol said, turning around, temporarily paralyzing Aaron with the full power of her deep brown Deanna Troy eyes. Yeah, uh, well, I'll see what I can... <sighs> Aaron looked away and plunged his attention into the cooler. He looked back up. Max was staring at him, uneasy. He seemed to be reading something on Aaron's face, something Aaron had been trying to bury for months although he hadn't done anything disloyal to his friend. Aaron knew it was more from a lack of opportunity than any unwillingness to do so. Max brought his arm up and slid it around Carol's shoulder, pulling her close. Shit. Aaron turned away and continued rummaging through the cold cans. The weight of the guilt for something he hadn't even done yet crushed him. He and Max had been close friends since third grade, ever since they discovered their mutual interest in all things geeky, especially science fiction. Truth be known, Max was a little more Star Wars than Star Trek, but Aaron felt that when it came to best friends, certain things could be forgiven. They cosplayed at conventions together. They joined a Quidditch league together in college. They even shared a limo on prom night. They were tight. At least until Max started playing lacrosse and began hanging out with troglodytes like Colin and his Wookiee-faced girlfriend. Aaron felt them drift over the past year. And now, he was falling for Max's girlfriend. A circumstance guaranteed not to improve the situation. Colin turned down the rap music he'd insisted on tormenting his passengers with since San Bernardino, and then cleared his throat, clearly wanting everyone's attention. Allow me to demonstrate, Colin said. There was a soft click, and the car plunged into darkness. What the? Aaron let the cooler lid fall and turned forward, unable to see the curvy road of the surrounding trees. In the driver's seat, Colin's hands, illuminated by the faint glow of the dashboard lights, waved in the air like someone reaching the big drop on a roller coaster. Max slapped Colin in the back of the head. Turn the headlights back on, asshole! Colin's hands lowered. There was a click, and the lights came back on. Aaron's hands were shaking. Seriously, 
Is there any part of you that's not stupid? Cowan's grin reflected in the windshield. Just conducting a little science experiment about the dark. Well, congratulations, Aaron said. You've proved you're a moron. Cowan raised his hand, once again thrusting it back toward Aaron, fingers cradling an invisible beer can. I told you there ain't nothing there in the dark that isn't there in the daylight. Now stop being a beer Nazi, or I'll conduct another experiment. Colin's girlfriend turned around. Yeah, stop being a bear Nazi. Aaron pointed a finger. Nobody is talking to you, Donna. My name is Dee Dee, you skid mark. <sighs> Whatever, Aaron said. Colin, when we get to Crystal Lake, you can drink yourself into a coma, but let's get there alive. Aaron raised his right hand. All in favor? Carol and Max raised their hands. Colin shook his head. Well, this isn't a democracy. Soft click. Darkness swallowed the landscape and Aaron's entire body began to tremble. Shithead. In a casual tone, Colin said, Bear me? All right, Aaron said. Just turn them on. Another successful experiment. Colin flicked the headlights back on. White light illuminated something in the road. Aaron only caught a glimpse. It stood on four legs with metallic eye shine the shade of gunmetal. In a horrifying instant, Aaron realized they were going to hit it. The full weight of Thor's hammer seemed to crash down on the hood. Everything rushed forward to the sounds of breaking glass, skidding tires, deploying airbags, and screaming. Ice from the cooler rose up, hung in the air, then showered down like Texas hail. Aaron tumbled over the back seat, unable to give any resistance as cold cans of soda and beer pummeled his back. He careened into an unseat-belted max and they both slid to the floor in a tangle of limbs. Colin's rap music sadistically rose in volume like background music to a bad horror film as Aaron struggled to right himself in the dark. With arms and legs flailing around him, he grasped something soft. Realizing it was some part of Carol, he quickly let go as the SUV slid sideways. He braced for another impact with either a huge hundred-year-old pine tree or one of the colossal boulders that dotted the roadside, but it didn't come. The sound of sliding tires suddenly silenced as the vehicle jolted to a stop. One or more doors had buckled enough to turn the interior lights on, and Aaron looked down and saw his feet floating in the air. His blood felt as if it were flowing in the wrong direction. Then he realized he wasn't looking down. He was looking up. Carol, Max said. You all right? Yeah, I think. Aaron, you alive? Max said. Aaron thought about that for a second. The cold rubber of the floor mat pressing on his face seemed to indicate that he was. Guess so. Then how about getting your ass cheeks out of my face? Max said. Aaron felt Max's hand clasp his belt, lifting him like a crane. He flopped back into the rear compartment. He then tried to look outside, but most of the view from the front windshield was blocked by deployed airbags. The view on either side of Max and Carol was also obstructed by airbags. A head rose up from the front seat, hair in disarray. Colin's girlfriend moaned, touching a finger to her bruised forehead. Debbie, are you, you okay? Aaron said, bringing out a pocket knife. She moaned again. My name is Dee Dee Asswipe. Aaron sighed. 
She's fine. He flipped open the blade and handed the knife up to Max. Hey, Colin. There was no movement from the driver's seat. Max plunged the blade into the backseat airbag to his side. A soft whistling sound filled the car. He reached out and put a hand on Colin's shoulder. Hey, man. Colin made a grunting sound like a gorilla fighting to wake from a nap. His head flopped to one side. Feels like there's... something sitting on me, Colin said. Can't... feel my legs. Everyone sat still for a few moments. Colin's heavy breathing was the only opposition to silence. Aaron glanced over at Max, who seemed to take a deep breath, then said, Okay, let's stay calm. Carol, call 911. I'm on it. Carol began digging for her phone. Max handed Aaron back his knife, then opened his door. Aaron grabbed Max's shoulder. Where are you going? I'm going to check out the car. You stay here with Dee Dee and see what you can do for Colin. Max stepped out. Aaron lowered his voice. Why me? Max stuck his head back in, extending a hand toward Carol. Because you're studying to be a doctor. I want to be a biologist. Max cocked his head. What's the difference? Carol slid across the back seat to follow. Before she stepped out, she whispered to Aaron, I know the difference. Aaron took a moment to watch her leave, then hopped into the back seat to take a look at Colin while his girlfriend pushed on the steering wheel. Donna, what are you doing? She stopped, glancing over at Aaron. It's D... Oh, never mind, just help me. Let's get this out of the way first, Aaron said, then stabbed the muffin-top-shaped airbag that had deployed from the steering wheel. As the bag deflated, Aaron leaned into the front seat, looking into Colin's lap. The entire steering column had been bent down to press into Colin's stomach. Aaron, Colin said, Can you see my legs? I think I am stuck. Aaron put a hand on Colin's shoulder, peering down. Um, everything's going to be okay. Help is coming. Just tech I can't move, man. Below Colin's knees, Aaron couldn't see anything. The area around the pedals was completely caved in. Whatever they had struck must have been solid, heavy. You're pinned in real good. I don't think you're getting out without help. Jeez, my head hurts. Colin touched a golf ball-sized welt on his forehead. Are you dizzy, tired, nauseous? Aaron said, trying to muster up some genuine concern for a guy he couldn't stand. The same guy whose dumbass antics had caused this mess. Yes, yes, and yes. The door of the rear compartment swung open. Aaron jerked around, seeing Max rifling through the luggage. What's going on? Max held up a finger. Not now. He pulled out a flashlight and shut the door. What the hell? What could be so damn important that Max didn't have time to answer? And why the hell am I here taking care of his idiotic friend? Colin's girlfriend raised a hand, pushing the front passenger side airbag off of her face. Aaron leaned forward with his pocket knife up. Let me get that. No, I got it, she said before she could approach. She pulled a nail file out of her purse and stabbed the bag. It deflated in a few seconds. Aaron looked at Colin, noticing his usually smug expression was slightly less smug. Aaron? Max's voice sounded from outside. Get out here. Okay. You, you need to stay awake. Colin let his head flop back onto the headrest. Just a little nap. Max's voice came from right behind him. Aaron, 
I really need you to see this. Aaron turned and looked at Max. What? Max made an insistent gesture with the flashlight then stepped away. Aaron turned forward and met Dee Dee's eyes. Look, keep him awake and I'll be right. His words faded as he glimpsed the windshield. A spider web of white cracks filled the glass, but not enough to obscure his vision. Something else lying on the hood was doing that. Is that hair? Aaron thought. And that looks like a... a saddle. I'm gonna step out for a minute, Aaron said. I'll be back. Aaron hopped out following the line of Max's flashlight illuminating Carol standing a good distance down the road. Her smartphone pressed to her ear. What you doing way over there? Aaron asked. Max turned around, his face lit eerily by the vehicle's only working headlight. That's as close as she wants to get to this thing. He waved at Carol and she returned with a nod. Then, Max aimed the flashlight at the hood. Aaron's mouth dropped open and he instinctively stepped away from the car. In a kind of perplexed daze, he joined Max standing just a few feet in front of the bumper. What the hell is that? You tell me, Max said. His... Aaron stepped forward, fascination beginning to override his initial horror. Is it a horse? Max moved the light down toward the bumper, illuminating the thing's feet. Do horses have toes? Not lately, Aaron said. Shine the light up on its back. The beam drifted up the creature's alien, dark exterior. Its underbelly was gaunt, leathery, and disturbingly unfamiliar. And then Aaron saw something that was at least a little familiar. That looks like a saddle. Max's head tilted a bit. Are you sure that's a saddle, city boy? According to all the John Wayne movies I've seen, that's a saddle. Aaron held out his hand. Give me that. Max handed him the flashlight and Aaron brought it up over his head, aiming the beam down, illuminating the creature's entire form. Jesus. Aaron breathed. What the hell is this? Max said. Aaron shook his head, taking in the enigma sprawled out on the hood. Its form resembled a horse, but that is where the comparison ended. Instead of hooves, the thing had three-toed muscular feet, each toe encased in a predator's claw, wide and jagged, stained in an array of colors from bone white to deep crimson. The equine frame was covered in short hair that glistened in the flashlight beam like rows of staples. A tail dangled off the hood by the front. Aaron stepped closer wanting to touch the tail and confirm the image his mind must have been imagining. At the last moment, he thought better of it and settled for shining the light on it and gazing at the stands. Is... Is the tail made of barbed wire? Damn, Max said. Shine the light over here. Look at these teeth. Aaron redirected the beam at the creature's head which lay on the roof. Its lips receded along the protracted snout in an unsettling death grin. The light bounced off and through the teeth, giving Aaron the impression that the fangs were icicles, frozen to its black gums. But as he moved the light back and forth, he realized that the long, spike-shaped teeth were transparent, 
as if made from glass or crystal. What the fuck? Max said, moving away from the beast's head. This can't be real, right? Aaron was about to answer, but he'd moved the light down the thing's neck and his words caught in his throat. Growing from the spot a normal horse would have a mane of hair, protruded thick, slimy follicles, with ungodly ridges spiraling around each strand. They too had an unnerving ring of familiarity. The beast's mane seemed made of a thousand oversized dead earthworms. I don't know what is creeping me out more. Max said. The fact that I'm really looking at... This. Or that someone actually rides this thing. Could be prehistoric, Aaron said, moving around to its head. Carol's voice cut through the dark. You mean like a dinosaur? Aaron aimed the light at Carol, now standing just behind Max. Not exactly. He gestured to her phone. What'd they say? She rolled her brown eyes. Assholes, no one can get here for at least a half hour, maybe longer. And my battery just died. Jesus, Aaron said. Max pointed to the front seat. How's Colin? He has a slight concussion, I'm guessing not his first. He's dizzy and stuck under the steering column. The thing caved in the area around his legs. He's pinned tight, and he isn't getting free until they can get here and cut him out. But he'll be all right. Max said. Um, yeah, I mean, he'll still be Colin, but aside from that, as long as what's-her-face keeps him awake, he'll be fine. Is there anything we can do to help him while we wait? Carol said. Aaron shrugged. I guess we could get this thing off him. Max, get its tail. You're nuts, I ain't touching this thing. Aaron shined a light on his friend. It's dead. How do you know? Max said. We... Just hit it with a two-ton car. Aaron turned the beam on the creature's defined ribcage, visible under hair-covered flesh. It isn't breathing. Max walked toward the creature's tail. We don't even know if it needs to breathe. It might be from outer space or another time. Or a robot, even. Aaron shined the light on Max's face. Dude, no more sci-fi channel for you. Max gazed down, clearly fascinated. But really... Just look at this thing. Aaron turned his attention to the creature's head. Its face seemed too long for a horse, almost a foot too long, and its snout seemed to be designed for tearing meat from bone rather than grazing in a field. He found the thing's closed eyes and placed a thumb across one eyelid. Through the thin layer of skin, he could feel that the eye underneath was ridged, not spherical or smooth. He pushed the lid up. There was a suction sound like someone pulling a shoe out of the mud. The flashlight illuminated a small human skull cast from gray metal, like the kind of ring decoration found at the finger of a hell's angel. Ah, oh, crap, weasel, Aaron said, stepping back, breathing fast. What is it? Max said, his voice noticeably elevated. Aaron staggered further away, the flashlight still aimed at the thing's face. He took a breath. Just reconsidering your alien time-traveling robot theory? He looked up at Max. I don't think we should move it. Colin's girlfriend stuck her head out the window, placing a hand at the creature's rump. Hey, what is this? Max stepped forward and removed her hand. Be careful. She recoiled. Okay. How's Colin? Max asked, 
standing just behind the thing's back legs. She sighed. He keeps trying to nod off. Well, help is on the way, Aaron said, so keep his eyes open. She delivered a salute. Yes, sir, and disappeared back into the car. Max glanced down at the creature, stepping in closer, holding his hands above the thing as if it were a warm fire. Hey, Aaron. What? Do you think it's worth something? Aaron furrowed his brow. I mean, it's gotta be one of a kind, right? Max sounded excited. A couple of months back, there was this three-headed dog that went for 10000 on eBay. Hell, this thing could beat that easy. Aaron rolled his eyes. I'm talking even split, Max said. You, me, Carol, Colin, and uh, even... Uh, what's her name? Max grinned. So? So what? Aaron said. What do you think we could get for it? Aaron sighed. I don't know, Max. My market knowledge of prehistoric alien time-traveling robot horses is a bit limited. Besides, I think you're forgetting one minor detail. What's that? Carol pointed to the creature's back. The saddle. Exactly, Aaron said. Someone or something owns this, whatever it is, and I'm not particularly interested in me- Aaron's blood turned cold, and his eyes went so wide they felt as if they would pop from their sockets. His mouth moved twice before his voice managed to come out as a hushed whisper. Max. What? Get away from it. Why? Now! Aaron took a step back, his gaze locked on the creature's face. The skull eyes were wide open. Aaron heard several soft pings like metal moving through air. He glanced down. Stake-sized claws extended from the creature's hind legs like real hallux talons and a bird of prey. Max, get back! Aaron shouted. It's not dead! Max took a step, but it wasn't big enough. All four of the thing's legs kicked out as it tried to get up. The back leg talons slashed across Max's midsection and he went down. Aaron rushed around the car, meeting Carol at Max's side. Max tried to sit up. His hands clasped around his abdomen. Aaron aimed the flashlight at his midsection. Blood poured between Max's fingers. Max glanced down, then back up at Aaron. It really hurts. Aaron handed Carol the flashlight and grabbed Max into the armpit. It's just a scratch, Carol said, taking Max's other side. Stop acting like a girl. Max smiled for a second. They lifted Max to his feet and held him up. Max kept one hand fixed on his abdomen. He seemed to be pushing as if struggling to keep things inside. They dragged Max to the side of the road, Aaron fighting the urge to look back even as he heard Colin and Dee Dee begin to scream. Max pushed Carol ahead toward the forest and said, Run! Carol hesitated, looking back at the boys, but then she glanced over their shoulders and clearly saw something horrible. Her mouth fell open. Her eyes bulged, and even in the thin moonlight, Aaron could see her tremble. Just go, Max said. Run! Carol spun on a heel and darted into the forest. The sound of bone and talon scraping on metal echoed behind them, and Aaron and Max paused to look back. The horse creature had righted itself, now standing on the hood. The SUV's back wheels were several inches off the ground, teetering like a seesaw on the front axle. Colin's girlfriend screamed. Looking up through the windshield, hands clamped tight on the dashboard for support. Her terrified shrills seemed to be aggravating the creature. The angular snout arched upward, 
and each hair in its mane moved under its own momentum like the venomous strands on Medusa's head. Aaron took a step toward the car, but felt Max's hand around his shoulder holding him. With mouth open and transparent teeth glistening in the moonlight, the creature's head darted forward into the windshield like a predator bird diving into water. Glass shattered, and the whole car shook. Dee Dee's scream stopped. The creature pulled its head back out, something round and fleshy stuck in its teeth. Snapping its jaw shut, the thing began to swallow. Aaron saw the outline of the girl's head moving down a long, gaunt throat. I told her I'd be right back, Aaron said. You lied, man, Max said. Let's go. Using the bouncing light from Carol's flashlight as a beacon, they pursued her into the forest. They hobbled in a clumsy entanglement of limbs, but even terribly wounded, Max seemed the more coordinated of the two. Before they lost sight of the road, Aaron looked back to see if the horror was following. It wasn't. The beast stood on the hood, slowly sinking into the engine as unimaginable weight pulled it toward the ground. Instead of getting down, the creature stood up on its hind legs and reared a monstrous head way back. The chest looked to be expanding, as if taking in an enormous breath like a mythical dragon, preparing to breathe. Fire erupted from the beast's mouth as the creature thrust forward. The car's interior was engulfed in flame, smoke and ash exploded through the rear window. What was that? Max said. Aaron jerked him forward. Keep going! A tree limb smacked Aaron in the face as they crashed through the brush. Carol's bouncing light receded further away. Max moaned and his head slumped forward. Aaron felt the pull of his friend's full weight, and they both tumbled to the ground. Aaron landed on top of his friend, their lips close to touching. Max pushed Aaron off. Not even if you were pretty and rich, he grimaced, shutting his eyes. Aaron got to his knees. Don't flatter yourself. He grabbed Max's arm. Now walk it off, you big pie hole. Max pulled his arm away, falling flat on the ground. I appreciate the words of encouragement, but I don't think. He pulled his hand away from his stomach briefly. Aaron tried to mask his horror. I think I'm done. Both of them sat still, breathing heavy. Aaron looked away. Max lifted his head. I'm slowing you down. Aaron felt it before he heard it. A rhythmic vibration stemming from the ground, coursing through his body like precision lightning, striking his flesh first, then going deeper to rattle his bones. A thunderous echo was just a step behind the vibrations, galloping through the trees, getting closer, coming fast. What is it? Aaron said. You know what it is, Max said softly. Aaron, go catch Carol. Knock the hero shit off, Aaron said, pulling at Max's arm. Max yanked his arm away, sitting up. I'll slow it down best I can. Max, just go, Max said, reaching for a broken tree limb. Aaron stood up. Max, hi, please don't say anything weird, man. Just go. Max's eyes locked on Aaron's. Keep her safer, so help me, I'll find a way back and kick your ass. Aaron turned away from his friend and ran after Carol. The beam from the flashlight was at least a hundred yards deeper into the forest, blinking as it passed behind trees and bushes, fading from view. 
He was in danger of losing sight of her. He pushed himself harder. His chest pounded. Sweat flowed. His lungs ached. And his legs screamed no more. He really wished at some point in his life he'd taken up running. Or jogging. Or, well, any kind of exercise whatsoever. Tree branches slapped at Aaron's body as he ran faster than he knew how. The smell of pine filled his nose. And he could feel his face beginning to rub raw from the scrap of needles. A pine cone hit him square in the forehead and he slowed to shake it off. He blinked his eyes a few times, then the sound of a bonfire being ignited with far too much accelerant boomed behind him. He looked back just in time to see a fireball in the distance ascend into the underside of the forest canopy. Max screamed. Aaron started running again. The bouncing light ahead was less than a hundred feet away and he was closing the gap. When he could see her thin silhouette, he called out. Carol stopped, aimed the beam back at him. Aaron held up a hand to block the light. Turn that off. Why? You're like a friggin' lighthouse. Where's Max? He... He went a different way. He did what? He's trying to keep it off our tail. Aaron pushed her forward. Go! Go! She turned toward him, defiant. How is he going to keep... Uh... Her words faded, and sadness flickered in her eyes as understanding washed over her features. Aaron shook his head. There's no time for this. He grabbed her wrist and pulled as he started to move. She resisted for only a moment. Then, they ran in the dark, stumbling every few yards. Aaron felt twice and Carol stopped each time, pulling him to his feet. After several more minutes, Carol smacked into a tree tumbling backward. Aaron hit the same damn tree and fell across her legs. Crap. Aaron rolled off her, feeling the damp, needle-covered ground beneath him. You okay? Yeah. Need to rest. Just for a few. Aaron breathed deeply, lying flat on the ground. Fear-induced adrenaline flowed through him, but he could do nothing with it. It was fuel for a machine that was grossly out of shape and all it did was cause his head to pound, his limbs to shake, and a displaced nausea that moved into parts of his body he wasn't aware could even feel nausea. A part of him wanted this over. Just let it end. But another part, the part that was focusing on the distant vibrations in the earth, bearing down on them like a herd of buffalo, had another idea. Embrace the adrenaline. Aaron sprang to his feet. Breaks over. Oh, just a few more, Carol began to say, but stopped as a distant galloping began to resonate through the trees. I'm ready. Carol jumped up and took off running, leaving Aaron standing still. Soon, Aaron was on her heels again, the galloping growing louder behind them. Aaron knew it was his imagination, but he swore he felt the thing breathing on his collar. He slapped at the rising hairs in the back of his neck, dirt and sweat running down his shirt. The galloping was so close now, it couldn't be more than ten or twenty yards behind them. Thunderous. Pounding. Carol turned hard to the right and ducked at the base of a wide tree. Aaron joined her, tucking in behind, and they cowered at the tree's base. One of many that lined a small, oval-shaped clearing where only moss-covered boulders and dead pine needles littered the ground. The galloping stopped. The forest went still for a moment. Nothing moved. Nothing breathed. 
Carol put her hand over her mouth, trembling. Something moved by fast. Forest debris caught the enormous wake showered down at a rain of dirt, bark, and pine needles. As the debris settled, Carol and Aaron stood up slowly, each having a tight grip on the other. Where'd it go? Carol whispered. High above, a tree branch snapped in the distance. Then another. Then a symphony of breaking limbs sounded. Aaron looked up, but couldn't accept what he saw. The creature was above them, moving within the forest canopy like a snake through grass, defying gravity, reason, and sanity. Branches and pine cones hit the forest floor with echoing thuds forcing Aaron to believe. Then, the trees went quiet, needles continuing to float down in the silence. They looked at each other, Aaron's nose inches from Carol's. I think it's gone, he said. Carol breathed deep. What the hell is that? The ground shook, sending a tremor through Aaron's body. The four-legged beast straightened up ten feet in front of them. Enormous leathery black wings slowly folded to its side, tucking just beneath the saddle. The creature blinked and jostled a fire-breathing head. The hairs on an animated mane floated all around as if submerged underwater, giving life to each individual tendril. Teeth bared. The thing reared up on hind legs and the already wide chest expanded to the sound of air inhaled down the gullet. What's it doing? Carol said, her nails digging into Aaron's back. Aaron put a hand on her chin, pulling her face toward him. Don't look. He closed his eyes, resolute that after a few painful moments, it would all be over. Sorry, Max. A wave of cold rushed by. Icy. Biting. Aaron opened his eyes. A towering figure stood with its back to them, a dark cloak shrouding it from head to toe. Take it easy, my friend, the cloaked figure said in a deep and hollow voice. In one hand, the figure held a macabre-looking bridle. Aaron narrowed his eyes. There was something wrong with its hands. They were extremely bony. No... Not bony. They were bone. Aaron's mouth went dry. Please excuse my pet, the newcomer said, sliding the bridle around the creature's snout. He's naturally very curious about your world. The skeleton hand reached into its cloak and pulled out a pile of something worm-like, fleshy, and placed it under the creature's mouth. He wanders off whenever he gets the chance, don't you, boy? Aaron watched as the creature began to feed on the pile of nightcrawlers and maggots being offered. He loosened his grip on Carol. That thing killed our friends. Yes, I suppose. Would it help you to know that it was their time? What? The cloaked form turned around to face them. Aaron and Carol recoiled, bumping into the tree behind them. There was no flesh on the man's face, only a skull with dark eye sockets cast down. He pulled a long scythe out of the night air and pointed it at Aaron. When it is your time, Death said, 
The circumstances are irrelevant. Aaron pushed away from the tree. My friends aren't irrelevant. Death shook his head. You don't understand. He turned away and swiftly swung himself into the saddle. You will. He gripped the reins and turned his mount. From under the saddle, the bat-like wings uncoiled and began to flap. Death and his mount rose off the ground, the forest floor swirling beneath them. Aaron and Carol stood still in the center of the clearing and watched death ascend, then disappear in an ocean of stars. In the thin moonlight, Aaron and Carol stared at one another. Carol grabbed his hand and they started walking back to the road. They stumbled in the dark, neither of them completely sure if they were heading in the right direction. Twigs and debris they couldn't see snapping under their steps. Aaron searched for a tree that was smoldering. The tree Max had been sitting under, not because he wanted to gaze upon his friend's remains, but because it would mean they were near the road. When he spotted it, he planned to veer away, go around. Carol didn't need to see that. He didn't need to see that. But he never got the chance. Like waking from a nightmare, they stepped from the woods onto asphalt. The trees fell away and they were again under stars. Aaron took a deep breath, smelling pine with a hint of ash as he looked up into the night sky. Look, Carol said, pointing to their right. Less than a hundred yards down the road from where they had emerged, flashing blue and red lights lit up the scene. A dozen silhouettes moved about the emergency vehicles, and before too long, one noticed Aaron and Carol standing in the road. A flashlight was aimed their way, and then another. Aaron looked at Carol, not knowing what to feel. Her exhausted and spent features seemed to express the same feeling. They gazed forward, and then stepped toward the light. I'm just trying to get this straight. In your 911 call, you said that only one in your party was injured, the highway patrol officer recounted. Can you tell me why three of your friends are now deceased and appear to have expired on impact? Carol brought a hand to her brow. I must have hit my head harder than I thought. I mean, I swear they were alive and talking after the crash. I guess that was just wishful thinking. The officer flipped the page in his notebook. Uh-huh. Aaron could see disbelief in the officer's eyes. Yeah, she uh, ran off into the woods, talking like someone was with her. I went after her, and I guess we got a little... Um... Lost. Aaron swallowed hard. Lying was not really a part of his skill set. The officer didn't write anything down, just stared back at them. Hey, Mitch! A voice yelled from behind. Smoking gun! Aaron and Carol turned around, looking back at the SUV, no longer in the middle of the road, but wrapped around an enormous pine tree. Aaron could just see Max's head slumped in the back seat, a torn airbag lying in his lap. A fireman stood next to Colin's crushed body in the driver's seat, his girlfriend, head and all, next to him. The fireman held up an empty beer can. There's more than one, he yelled. Yep, that's a shocker, the officer said. He looked down at Aaron and Carol, clearly not trying to hide his disdain. You kids care to tell me how much the driver had to drink? Aaron met Carol's gaze. Her lips quivered, but her eyes were dead still. He couldn't tell if she was putting it together or not. 
but Aaron could feel the cold touch of understanding slowly washing over her. Yeah. He had a couple of drinks. Aaron looked up at the officer. More than a couple. The officer closed his notebook. You two are lucky to be alive. Aaron smiled. He knew luck had nothing to do with it. The truth was much deeper than that. He met the officer's unsympathetic eyes and said, It wasn't our time. Apartments.com has more pet-friendly rental listings than anywhere else. So, finding the perfect place is easier than ever, and so is finally moving in together. Just the two of you. It's a big step. Lots of new responsibilities. Lots of adjustments. Most likely, they'll wake you up at odd hours to go to the bathroom, and you'll most definitely find yourself in trouble coming home late for dinner. They might even unroll all your toilet paper next time. It's just what happens when you two find a new place together, but you're not doing it because you feel like it. No, you're doing it because you love them, because they're family. And that's why Apartments.com has the most pet-friendly rental listings on the internet so that you and your furry family can find the perfect new place together. Apartments.com, the place to find a pet-friendly place. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. You've been listening to The Mount of Death, as performed by yours truly. If you enjoyed that last tale, check out more of the author in his latest masterpiece, Midnight Men, The Supernatural Adventures of Earl and Dale, now available on Amazon.com. To get your copy today, head to simplyscarypodcast.com slash midnight. Anderson's latest collection of tales centers in a pair of burly truckers drawn to those that dwell in the darkness. Monster hunters by default, they confront the evils of the world fearlessly and with just a bit of humor. Vampires, werewolves, half-human spider demons, and those that prey on the innocent, all will realize they've met their match when they go head-to-head with Earl and Dale. Once again, you can get your copy now at simplyscarypodcast.com slash midnight. You won't be sorry you did. 
And don't forget to leave Kevin a kind word in a review, and to let him know you heard about him on today's episode of Horror Hill. Thanks for your support of this show, and of indie horror. Up next, I've got another tale from author T.W. Grimm, which will introduce us to a side of our world that you may not be familiar with. But that's always been there. Lurking in the blind spots of your human senses. And to how some things are better left unseen. Before I proceed, however, I'd like to tell you a bit more about tonight's sponsors, BetterHelp. The company dedicated to making professional counseling accessible, affordable, and convenient. If only our protagonists from Kevin's latest story had this kind of help available, they might not have lost their heads over their friends losing theirs. <laughs> In all seriousness, though, the tales I tell on Horror Hill are fictional. And if you're like me, there are much-needed respite from the waking nightmares that sometimes plague our real lives. It's easy to enjoy a tale about a demon steed stalking a hapless band of co-eds. But what about the more mundane things we deal with in our lives? Such as relationship woes, the loss of our job, financial concerns and mental health emergencies. If there's something interfering with your happiness, or that's preventing you from achieving your goals, you're not alone. We've all been there. I know I have. And we don't always have access to the help we need, whatever the reasons may be. I started college about a year after I lost my father, when it was a little too soon and maybe a little too far from home. It was easily the loneliest and most isolating year of my life, and if there ever was a time I could have used a service like BetterHelp, it was then, and I certainly would have. Instead, I essentially lost a year of my life and education to grief and depression, and I resolved that from then on I would never suffer silently again. As part of their process, BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. And you can start communicating in under 24 hours. BetterHelp isn't a crisis line, and it's not self-help. It's professional counseling, done securely online. The service is available for clients worldwide, so no matter what corner of the earth you find yourself in, you can get the help you need, anytime. Not to mention they offer a broad range of expertise, whereas, in many areas, that sort of assistance just isn't available locally. With BetterHelp, you can log in to your account anytime and send a message to your counselor. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as with traditional therapy. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. Not only that, but it's more affordable than traditional offline counseling, and financial aid is available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. Need proof? Visit their website and read from their list of testimonials. New ones are added daily. 
and join the thousands who have changed their lives with the help of BetterHelp's counselors. Take this for example, from an April 18, 2020 review. BetterHelp user T.A. came to BetterHelp and counselor Alyssa Ashenfarb suffering from issues we're all familiar with, including depression, stress, anxiety, relationship issues, family conflicts, trauma and abuse, grief, intimacy-related issues, and self-esteem. After working together for just a couple of weeks, T.A. says, I look forward to every session with Alyssa. She's extremely kind and considerate and is encouraging in my progress. She's a phenomenal listener and gives suggestions that are truly helpful. I really respect her and am grateful for the progress I am already starting to make with her. What more can you ask for? Or take K.A.'s testimony, for example. After counseling with Betty Asierno for one month on issues concerning stress, anxiety, self-esteem, and coping with life changes, they said, Counseling sessions with Betty are like having a friend sitting on the front porch sipping a mint julep or tea and talking about uncomfortable topics in a comforting way. Then, getting busy digging the weeds out of the flower bed of my life. In the darkest of times, it's not always easy to find a friend you can truly open up to. And that's why there's better help. And this month, listeners of the Horror Hill podcast will get 10% off their first month. To get started, visit betterhelp.com slash hill. That's betterhelp.com slash hill to get 10% off your first month of counseling and join the over 800,000 people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. Be sure to use that URL to let our sponsors know that I sent you. Thanks so much for listening and for giving BetterHelp a try this month. Your support means a lot to both of us. We all deserve to be happy. And I'd love nothing more than to hear that our sponsors have helped make a difference in your life. Now that I've allowed you to get the support you need, courtesy of our friends at BetterHelp, allow me to regale you with a tale about people with problems of their own. And unfortunately for them, they've got issues that are above the pay grade of online counselors, no matter how good they are. Without further ado, from author T.W. Grimm, I present to you, It's in the Shapes of Things. It was ten minutes to eight and the office party was winding down to a politely muted conclusion, everyone straggling to the main entrance as they shrugged on their jackets and exchanged lifeless wishes of a good weekend to come. Rob watched them go with a sour expression on his face, leaning over his cleaning cart in a passive-aggressive display of barely contained impatience. Go on, he thought. Hurry your stupid asses up and go! The Dynatech's bigwigs used to spring for a hall rental when hosting their infrequent office parties. That practice came to a squalid conclusion at a Christmas shindig three years ago, when the former head of marketing got into a booze-fueled scuffle with a junior member of the accounting team. After that incident, all subsequent work-related events were held under the harsh fluorescent glow of the big showroom adjacent to the main office. 
These dry and sterile affairs were over and done by 8pm at the latest, just in time for old Bobby Bozeman to come rolling in with his trusty cleaning cart. As the last of them pushed through the big glass doors and stepped into the cold, Leanna came hustling over with an irritated frown. She pointed in the direction of the showroom and snapped, There's still someone in there. It's the Bible guy. Go tell him to leave, would ya? Rob ground his palms into his weary eyes and sighed. Fucking hell, that guy? All right, sure, but you gotta be my backup. Leanna emphatically shook her head no and crossed her arms. I'm not talking to that guy. He's a weirdo. You do it. Rob slumped his shoulders and grunted. Okay, whatever. Can you go find Bronte and ask her to help us when she's done in the cafeteria? We could use another body in here tonight. Leanna was visibly relieved. She gave him a cheery thumbs up and hurried for the exit to the production floor. Rob groaned a few choice curse words to himself and trundled his car through the accounting division, his jaw tight with anticipation of the mess which awaited him beyond the next doorway. Rob absolutely fucking hated the office parties. They were the bane of his existence. There would be fifty tables set up in ten razor-neat rows of five, every one of them laden with a confused mess of dirty paper plates, greasy warming trays, and dozens of half-full cans of soft drinks. Each table had four chairs, two hundred in total, all of them needing to be stacked and stowed away, along with all the tables, the serving carts, and every other motherfucking thing, because fuck Bobby Bozeman and fuck his already hectic nightly routine. The office folks simply had to be herded together for the quarterly ritual of uncomfortable small talk and two choices of salad. A thick, rusty voice called out, Mr. Bozeman? And Rob jumped an inch or so off the floor. He'd been so deep in his bitter contemplation of the task at hand, he'd forgotten all about the straggler, a mid-level manager from the IT department named Mike Forsyth. Rob looked around and spotted Forsyth sitting at a table in the far corner, partially hidden in a slumped-over position behind a meandering stack of single-use aluminum serving pans. Rob mentally braced himself for the encounter and gave Forsyth a cheerful wave. The brooding IT manager was a large and disheveled-looking man with a sloping gut and bulging eyes that rarely blinked. He was more commonly known as Bible Mike. Forsyth motioned for Rob to come closer and resumed staring intently at the stack of pans in front of him. There was marinara sauce splattered all over his shirt, a Rorschach pattern of careless speckles and splotches of red. He croaked, You always seemed like an intelligent enough fellow, Mr. Bozeman. Do you have a minute? I'd like to run something past you if you don't mind. Rob made an impatient noise in the back of his throat and reluctantly rolled his cart across the room. Rob had always been wary of Bible Mike. He had the air of a person who was slowly losing a grim struggle against some violent and inevitable explosion. According to gossip on the production floor, Forsyth had been soundly reprimanded by human resources a number of years ago regarding his habit of haranguing his colleagues with his eccentric views on religion. Mike Forsyth was like an old stick of dynamite, sweating death and ready to unleash hell at any moment. All Bobby Bozeman knew to steer clear of someone like that. Have you ever heard of the term divine proportion by any chance? Rob shook his head. Oh, no, sir. I've never heard of that. Um, listen, I hate to rush you out of here, but I really need to get cracking on this cleanup. Are you almost finished? It's in the shape of things, Forsyth said, 
and he nodded at the precarious stack of pans in front of him. Sequences and patterns. Divine proportion can be seen in both living and inanimate objects. Unbelievers say you can't see the hand of God at work, but that isn't true. The patterns and shapes that define our surroundings, that's where God's divinity can be found. Rob pointedly cleared his throat and swept an outstretched hand at the clutter of styrofoam cups and half-eaten desserts that lay across the table. That's interesting, Mr. Forsyth, but we really have to get started here. We only have eight hours to clean this whole office. Take spiral patterns, for example, Forsyth plowed on. You can see many spirals in nature, a DNA molecule of the shell of a nautilus, the phylotactic arrangement of leaves on a stem, even the arms of a spiral galaxy. This is God's body, his will, his divinity in the physical world. Do you understand, Mr. Bozeman? Rob didn't answer his question. He was too busy staring in horror at Bible Mike's left hand. He'd finally noticed that Forsyth's ring finger was gone. It ended in a ragged, inch-long stump of shredded flesh and splintered bone. The table was covered in drops and smears of blood. Rob dimly registered that Forsyth was still babbling about shapes and ratios, but he barely heard a single word. His finger looked like it had been torn off by a whirling belt sander, a violent, ragged separation that left irreparable carnage in its wake. Forsyth didn't seem to notice that it was missing. But what is the flip side of this equation? Forsyth asked. He smiled, the enthusiastic grin of a teacher who believes their pupil is equally interested in the subject matter at hand. If God's divine will is our physical reality, then Satan must possess a radically different form. Um, your finger, Rob gasped. What happened to your finger? If God is in the numbers, then so is the devil, Forsyth nodded. He seemed completely oblivious to Rob's words or reaction. I'm very close to this answer, do you understand? Satan, his realm, it's the other side of the equation. Oh, I can see the big picture. I can see. Forsyth trailed off and his smile faded. He reached out with his uninjured hand and seized Rob by the arm. He pulled him close and snarled. I saw it. Just a quick glimpse, but I saw the other side of it, and it was awful. I... I can't. Rob twisted free of his grasp and shuddered. Listen to me. Your finger is gone. Look, it's still bleeding. The IT manager studied his mutilated hand with vague concern. He mumbled. I didn't even notice. I must have reached past the barrier. I saw the other side, just for a split second. But I saw it. Rob was completely flummoxed. He licked his dry lips and took a big step backward. What the hell are you talking about? What barrier? Forsyth frowned and pointed at the greasy stack of aluminum serving pans in front of him. Right here, he rasped. It was right here. Okay, sure. Rob held his hands up and tried to smile. I believe you, I do, but we really need to find that missing finger. I don't know, maybe it can be fixed or... Um, 
Look, we need to put it on ice and go to the emergency room. Where is it? Bible Mike abruptly shoved his chair back and stood up from the table. Rob flinched and scuttled behind his cart for safety. You don't understand, he said quietly. No one understands. Good night, Mr. Bozeman. Rob watched Forsyth walk away in open-mouthed disbelief. He shouted, Hey, where are you going? Are you going to the hospital? Hey! Rob scurried after him, his heart hammering in his chest, but the glass doors in the front reception vestibule were already swinging shut. Bible Mike had disappeared into the night, leaving a curling smear of blood on the door handle in his wake. He regarded the bloody door handle with a stunned expression and said out loud, What the fuck was that? What you talking about? Leanna piped up from behind him and Rob whirled around with a scream clenched between his teeth. Well, what? She demanded. Did something happen with a Bible guy? Rob groped for a response, but he had no idea how he could even begin to explain the surrealistic insanity that had just unfolded in the showroom. Call health and safety, he grunted. There's blood in the showroom. Text me when they get here, okay? I'm... I'm going for a smoke. When Rob finally managed to get the health and safety representative to understand the situation at hand, she dropped her incident report and scrambled to call the security guard at the front gate. The guard confirmed Forsyth had left the premises. After observing the aftermath of Forsyth's severed digit firsthand, the guard promptly hurried back to the security shack and called the police. Rob and Leanna were finally allowed to start cleaning at one in the morning, the exact time they would normally be badging out with the rest of the janitorial crew. Bronte and the others all declined to stay in hell. Leanna patiently waited until everyone was gone before she hurled a dustpan across the room and unleashed a poetic tirade of curses at the delay, a ferocious flood of pure, frustrated fury that made Rob laugh until he was almost crying. It was late. He was tired. And what the fuck, man? Seriously, what the hell happened in that showroom? He couldn't get the image of Forsyth's mangled finger stump out of his head. After ten years of pushing a mop for a living... Bobby Bozeman had thought he'd seen it all, but Bible Mike's severed finger was on an entirely different level. He didn't get paid enough to deal with shit like that. No, sir. Rob staggered through his door as the sun started to peak above the horizon. He fell onto the couch with a groan of exhaustion and immediately sank into a series of murky nightmares. A string of meaningless vignettes connected by some unseen horror that seemed to lurk behind even the most innocuous scenarios. The dreams weren't terrifying because of what he could see. They were terrifying because of something he might see, if he only knew where to look. He was jarred awake at 11.30 by the ringing of his cell phone. It was Leanna. He fumbled to answer it and groaned. What? I'm sleeping. The Bible guy killed himself. Rob's half-lidded eyes shot wide open. He sat up on the couch and blinked in the sunlight that streamed through the windows. He'd been too tired to close the curtains before he crashed. It's all over the news. The cops went to his house for a wellness check after they left the plant and he shot at them through a window. They had a standoff for a while and... Then he killed himself. Rob croaked. Holy shit. Wow. Well, he was talking some pretty weird shit in the showroom. I couldn't even really follow what he was saying. 
Something about God being on one side of the equation and Satan on the other side. He wasn't making sense. Like the fucking guy didn't even know his finger was gone. He was out to lunch. Leanna breathed. Wow. That's so deep down the rabbit hole, you know? It's creepy. It's sad he died, but I'm glad no one else got hurt. I guess he lived alone. That's probably a good thing. Yeah, no doubt. Rob sat quietly for a few seconds, his brow knitted in deep thought. He cleared his throat and said, Hey, I'm gonna let you go. Thanks for letting me know. That's wild. I'll see you at work later, okay? Bye. Rob sank back into a prone position on the couch with a grunt and a sigh. He studied the fine network of cracks in his living room ceiling and thought, It's in the shape of things. Ten minutes later, he was sitting at his tiny kitchen with a mug of instant coffee in hand, squinting at a Google search while a cigarette smoldered away in a small glass ashtray beside him. Circles and spirals, angles and contours and planes. That was how the world around him was arranged. But why? What elemental force made it so? He scrolled and drank coffee and chain-smoked and before he knew it, several hours had slipped away. We never found his finger, Rob said out loud, and the thought stopped him dead in his tracks. He either lost it in another area of the facility, or it was already gone before he came to work that day. Both of those scenarios seemed unlikely. So where was it? Where did his finger go? He bit it off, Rob thought, and he instinctively knew it was true. Lost in his near-complete break with reality, Bible Mike had chewed off his own finger and probably swallowed the goddamn thing. Well, that's enough of that, Rob thought, and he tossed his coffee mug in the sink as he headed for the shower. It was time to stop thinking about golden spirals, magical ratios, and severed fingers. It was too much. Too far. And old Bobby Bozeman was done with it. It was time to go to work. Of course, everyone at work wanted to talk about Mike Forsyth. Everyone, that is. But Rob. All he wanted was to put his head down, push his mop, and not think about anything in particular. That's all he'd really wanted in life. To put in his time and be rewarded with a quiet and solitary existence. Bobby Bozeman was a man with many acquaintances and no close friends. In his experience, almost everyone was okay as long as you didn't know anything about them. Rob kept himself busy that night, and all was well until he walked into the human resources office shortly after midnight. He flicked on the light and froze like a statue. There was a new poster hanging on the wall across the room. Three by four foot, high-definition close-up of a sunflower... Rob stood there and gaped at it in shock with his mouth hanging open. The spiral arrangement of the developing seeds was mesmerizing. It was so neatly arrayed, so sublimely perfect, that it was hard to believe that a pattern so elegant was merely a randomized happenstance of evolution. There was meaning in that spiral. There was power. What are you staring at? Leanna chirped over his shoulder. Rob gasped and resisted the urge to drive an elbow into her guts. 
Can you stop fucking doing that? He demanded. You're gonna give me a heart attack, no shit. Leanna bit down on a smile and said, Sorry, Bosie, I thought you heard me come in. That's a really neat picture, though. The pattern is so pretty. I never noticed it before, is it new? Rob murmured, Pretty? It's fucking amazing. That spiral pattern is a Fibonacci sequence. It's called the, the Golden Ratio. It allows for continuous growth without ever changing shape. Oh, yeah, that's really interesting, you weird fucking nerd. Leanna grinned and she bustled past him with a rolling mop bucket. Let's get to it. It's almost 12.30 already. Rob blurted, What? And looked at the clock in disbelief. He just lost nearly half a fucking hour to mindlessly gazing at a framed poster of a sunflower. A wave of disorientation washed over him, leaving him blinking at his surroundings and swaying on his feet. He felt as if he'd been rudely awakened while teetering on the precipice of the steep slope between daydreaming and deep slumber. He blinked at Leanna and thought, something's happening to me. What the fuck is going on? Time got away from me, I guess, he said, and he tried to smile. Leanna nodded and smiled back. Her eyes, however, were watchful and troubled. Oh, for sure, it happens to everyone. How about you start yanking the garbage bags and I'll come in behind with the mop? We don't have time for much else. Rob gave her an unconvincing thumbs up and fumbled into action. He felt as though he was really and truly seeing his surroundings for the very first time. A lush landscape of interlocking lines and curves that expanded in every direction for all of eternity. He could no longer look at a solitary article like a garbage can and consider it to be a complete object in and of itself. Rather, any singular item in this plane of existence was merely a piece of a bigger picture. The biggest picture. Reality was a tapestry of immeasurable proportions sewn together by the dimensional threads of height, length, width, and time. It was the cosmic spider silk that forever spins away into the horizon of the future. If it were possible for his feeble mind to grasp the larger picture... Rob knew that he would see no garbage cans, no cubicles, no walls, no ceiling, nor even Bobby Bozeman himself. He would see a stunning patchwork of interconnecting shapes and patterns, a masterpiece of divine artistry stretching across all space and time. It's in the shape of things, Rob whispered, and then he realized he was standing all by himself in the darkness the door closing behind his co-worker with a heavy clunk as she left him standing in the middle of the office with a garbage can clutched between his hands. He fumbled for the light switch and was unsurprised to see that the clock read 1am. Quitting time. Leanna had mopped around the spot where he'd been standing and staring at a garbage can with a slack jaw and glazed eyes. He wondered how many times she called his name before she clicked the light switch and left him alone in the dark. Rob plunked the can down beneath a desk and hurried to catch up with his co-worker, racking his overloaded brain for some half-assed excuse for his bizarre behavior. He stopped at the exit door with his hand on the push bar. An incomprehensibly awful image had popped into his head. Unbidden and terrifying. He would open the door and discover a churning, writhing state of complete chaos on the other side. Malign and inconceivable a wailing madness of zero constants and entropic decay. 
the horror of time and space rendered meaningless. No, he said softly, and he began to tremble all over. Come on, what the fuck is wrong with you? Open the door! But he couldn't do it. Satan's realm awaited on the other side. And if it wasn't there, it didn't matter. Because it was everywhere. Right on the other side of a barrier he could not perceive. At least not yet. Rob's lips skinned back in a snarl and he growled. Open the fucking door, you fucking idiot! Tears rolled down his cheeks as he applied pressure to the push bar little by little until a thin slice of light appeared at the edges. Rob flung the door open with a convulsive heave and moaned. Sweet Jesus. Holy fuck. They wiped his tears in his shirt and left without talking to anyone. When he got home, Rob chained smoke in the darkness of his living room. He fell asleep clutching a flashlight in one hand and a knife in the other. He tossed and turned almost relentlessly, but he didn't dream at all that night, and for that, he was thankful. Rob grew cold and distant as the week passed. He started sitting alone at break time, staring with an unnerving intensity at nothing in particular with a half-eaten sandwich sitting on the table in front of him. He would sometimes be observed frowning at a tattered old booklet of lined paper, tapping a pencil against the cafeteria tables as he puzzled over a page of doodles and numbers. Leanna ventured over to his table on Friday and asked what he was working on, her tone uncharacteristically soft and timid. She looked like she was ready to bolt if he tried to grab her. Trying to figure something out, he grunted. He didn't look up from his notebook. What are you figuring out? Leanna smiled and she darted a nervous glance over his shoulder. Bronte and the rest of the crew were watching from the other side of the room, huddled together around their table as they pretended to not stare at him. Rob looked up from his booklet, and Leanna's heart missed a beat. His eyes glittered in their sockets with the fever of obsession, bloodshot and ferocious. Rob was pale and drawn, and he smelled bad. I'm trying to understand what is on the other side. Rob said it in a way that suggested Leanna was stupid for even asking such a question. She bit down on the urge to tell him to fuck himself and said, What do you mean? On the other side of what? Of this, Rob snapped, and he motioned at the walls and ceilings of the cafeteria. Not this room, I mean. I mean, everything. The opposite of where we live, here in this place of existence, it's an equation. Bible Mike was right. See? On this side of the equation, it's our world and everything else. The very big all the way down to the very small. And on the other side of the equation, everything is the exact opposite, but it's equal. The other side is... Rob sat back in his chair and shook his head. I don't know. It's something I can't even imagine. Leanna nodded as if she understood what he was talking about. Um, okay, I guess that makes sense. Uh, well, I just wanted to come over and say hi. You've been sitting over here by yourself since Wednesday. You hardly talk to anyone. I just 
wanted to see if you were okay. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I thought Forsyth bit off his own finger. <laughs> Rob mused, and Leanna did a double take. She blinked at him, unsure of how to respond. He didn't, though, Rob continued. He was speaking earnestly, trying his best to get her to understand. What happened is he taught himself to see the big picture. I mean, it's right there in front of us, but we just can't see it. This table, you, me, everything, it's all a tiny piece of a huge puzzle. Bible Mike could see the big picture and he was starting to see even more. He saw the other side. That's how he lost his finger. Leanna took in a deep breath and hissed. Ozzy, what the fuck? Really? What is that? It doesn't make sense. It's crazy talk from a crazy guy. A guy that ended up killing himself. That isn't normal. None of this is normal. This isn't normal? Rob shot back and he gestured violently at the room around them. Are you sure? Because I think it is normal. I think reality as we know it is the result of some very powerful consciousness. God, whatever you want to call it. A deity of some kind chose to create the universe out of itself. The beginning wasn't the Big Bang. It was the Big Birth. Divinity is everywhere. It's in the shapes of things. It's in the air we breathe. It's in us. Forsyth knew that. It might have been a whack job, but he was right. Leanna wrapped her arms around herself defensively and said, Okay, so he was right. So what? You look like you haven't slept in days. You're obsessed with this bullshit. Just leave it alone and stop being a fucking weirdo. I am worried about you. <sighs> I can't. Rob's mouth drew down turning his face into a pale, unshaven tragedy mask. I don't see things the way I used to anymore. It's like one of those pictures made from all those colored dots, you know what I mean? You look at it for a while, and once you see the hidden image, you can't stop seeing it. The buzzer rang over the intercom system, signaling the end of lunch break. Rob tossed his uneaten sandwich into his cooler bag and got up from the table, wincing and the cracking in his knees. He saw the other side, Rob murmured, and he tried to smile. It didn't work, so he grimaced again instead. God and Satan. They're side by side. Once I see it. What if I can't stop? Leanna didn't have an answer for that. Rob brushed past her with his head down, and Leanna wandered back to Bronte and the others. He's not doing so great, she said. I heard him talking about the devil, Bronte exclaimed, breathless with the sheer scandal of such a daring act. She crossed herself and added, He don't look so good. What if the devil starts whispering in his ear? Leanna considered this and suppressed a shudder. She said, I think he already did. Leanna distanced herself from Rob for the rest of the night. He was giving off the exact same vibe as the Bible guy, and it was scaring her. She was scrubbing the sink in the kitchenette when a jagged shriek ripped out from across the office. 
making her drop her scrub brush and let out a loud squeal of her own. The shrieking continued, broad, high-pitched peals of agonized terror, and Leanna rushed to see what was happening. It was Rob. Most of his arm was missing. He was crouched against his cart, screaming at the top of his lungs, and cowering from some horror that only he could see. Leanna gaped at the horrible spectacle for a moment, rendered immobile by panic, then scrambled to call security from the nearest cubicle phone. Someone's hurt in the main office, she screeched. We need an ambulance right away. Leanna dropped the handset and turned back to Rob, who was hauling himself up with his remaining arm on the side of his tottering cart. The other was a limp, useless paddle of torn shirt and flapping flesh. He was still screaming. She yelled at him to sit still, but he ignored her pleas and fumbled to the bottles on his cart until he found a bottle of drain cleaner. He flicked open the nozzle with his thumb and lifted it to his face. Leanna bellowed, Rob, no, and charged at him, but he was already squirting the cloudy fluid into his eyes. Rob's screams rose in pitch and intensity as the sulfuric acid attacked the wet surface of his eyeballs, burning and sizzling away as Leanna tackled him around the waist and pulled him to the floor. Rob writhed and bucked beneath her, his heels drumming against the polished floor. The security guard burst into the room and faltered at the sight of so much blood and commotion. Help me, she cried. Get a bucket of water. Get something for a tourniquet. Rob soon fainted dead away from the shock and blood loss. The ambulance arrived in under 15 minutes. They strapped Rob into a gurney and took him through the front entrance, rolling it along at a fast jogging pace as they ignored Leanna's demands to be more careful. As the EMTs loaded the gurney into the ambulance, Rob regained consciousness. He immediately began to scream again. It took a few seconds for Leanna to realize he was actually screaming the same four words, over and over again. Several months later, after Leanna finally returned to work, she was coaxed into recounting the awful details of the ordeal to Bronte who ate it all up, with eyes as wide as saucers. When Leanna came to the end of the tale, Bronte asked, What was he saying when they took him away? Leanna gave Bronte an uneasy look and licked her lips nervously. He was screaming. I can still see. I can still see. Bronte shivered. So creepy, ugh. I heard they keep him sedated all the time. As soon as he wakes up, that's all he'll say until they put him under again. So sad, Bronte lamented. He seemed like a nice man. Yeah, Leanna said. He was a great guy. She was frowning at the swirl her spoon created as she stirred her coffee. It was... oddly mesmerizing. Shapes... She murmured. It's in the... Hmm? Bronte interrupted. Leanna shook her head and pushed her coffee aside. She suddenly felt cold and very small. Nothing, she said. Don't ask. You don't want to know. 
You've been listening to It's in the Shapes of Things by author T.W. Grimm, as performed by yours truly. If you enjoyed that last story, please do me a favor and check out T.W. Grimm's collections of stories, available now on Amazon.com. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com slash Grimm, spelled G-R-I-M, and you'll find yourself at his author page where you can pick up a copy of his latest books, including his short story, The Promises We Make in December, a stark, unflinching examination of grief, loss, and the bittersweet salvation that lies within sacrifice. In it, you'll meet John, a lonely and embittered alcoholic, a seemingly successful man whose personal life has been left in shambles by his addiction. Knowing that his days are numbered, John sits down at his desk to write his final tale, an account of the disaster that shattered his childhood and irrevocably altered the course of his life. Alongside the promises, you'll find several collections of Grimm's tales, including my personal favorite, the eleven-story anthology, Tripping Over Twilight. Again, you'll find these and more at simplyscarypodcast.com slash Grimm. If you give his work a read, please consider leaving him a kind word and a comment letting him know you heard about him here on the Horror Hill. It would mean a lot to me. I'd like to personally thank you for joining me for this episode of Horror Hill. Don't forget to tune in again next week, when I yet again regale you with a handful of tales to terrify, plumb from the most depraved depths of the human imagination. Tonight's episode featured tales from the very talented Kevin David Anderson and T.W. Grimm. The Mount of Death was written by and presented courtesy of Kevin David Anderson. Anderson's debut novel, The Geeky Cult Zombie Romp, Night of the Living Trekkies, is a funny, offbeat novel, exploring the pop culture carnage that ensues when the undead crash a Star Trek convention. His latest book, Midnight Men, The Supernatural Adventures of Earl and Dale, was inspired by the short story Green Eyes and Chili Dogs, produced by yours truly, Jason Hill, and heard on my own YouTube channel and on the Simply Scary Podcast Season 3, Episode 6. Anderson's stories have appeared in over a hundred publications and on fantastic podcasts such as The Drabblecast, Pseudopod, The No Sleep Podcast, Horror Hill, and The Simply Scary Podcast. In addition, he's an active member of the Horror Writers Association and currently works in special education. For more information on him, visit kevindavidanderson.com. It's in the Shape of Things was written by and presented courtesy of T.W. Grimm, a self-published horror novelist from southwestern Ontario and the author of 99 Brief Scenes from the End of the World, Tripping Over Twilight, When the Stars Fall, and The Promises We Make in December, now available on Amazon.com. If you enjoyed what you've heard on tonight's program, please take a moment to stop by our iTunes page or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts, and leave us a five-star review and a kind word. It makes a huge difference, and would mean a lot to me. If you'd like to hear a premium and free edition of tonight's and all of our other episodes, 
Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click the Patrons link in the menu at the top of the screen. You'll find yourself at chillingtalesfordarknights.com where you can become a patron for as little as $5 per month and get access to our entire audio archive dating back to 2012, including past episodes of this program, all of our other shows, and hundreds of standalone releases, all of them ad-free and available to download or stream. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, you can follow and subscribe to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights there, where you'll get all of our latest updates and new releases and have the chance to interact with us each and every week. You'll find me personally on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. Finally, thanks again to today's sponsors, BetterHelp, for their support of this show. As a reminder, listeners of the Horror Hill podcast will get 10% off their first month of BetterHelp. To get started, visit betterhelp.com slash hill. That's betterhelp.com slash hill to get 10% off of your first month of counseling. Be sure to use that URL to let them know that Jason and the Horror Hill Podcast sent you. Your support means a lot to me. Until next week, listener, when we meet up once again atop the Horror Hill for yet another dance with darkness. I bid you good night. Sleep tight, listener. And whatever you do, if you hear scratching at your door, don't open it. The darkness may have found you, but it's up to you to let it in. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Horror Hill Podcast, a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted, and its featured stories performed by, yours truly, Jason Hill. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors, Original music provided by Felipe Ojeda, Luke Hodgkinson, and Jesse Cornett. Final mixing and mastering by executive producer and director Craig Groshak. The program's artwork by yours truly, Jason Hill. Logo by Craig Groshak. Got a terrifying tale of your own that you like performed? I take submissions. Email it to us today at submissions at simplyscarypodcast.com to have your work considered for production in a future episode of this show. That's submissions at simplyscarypodcast.com. If you enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave us a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to me. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on social media to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and our other programs. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon for Chilling Tales for Dark Nights as well to get more spooky tales from me and the crew. 
and another episode of this program each and every week. And don't forget to hit the thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing and leave a kind word. And don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. As for me, I'll be back next week with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. If darkness is what you're after, listener, your search is over. Yet, let it be known, you haven't found the darkness. The darkness has found you. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.